1847, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels wrote the now famous Communist Manifesto. And in it, they put forth ideas about uh, creating a classless utopian society in which there was no upper class of the wealthy oppressing the lower class of the poor uh, and creating instead a society that was uh, based on uh, on no personal ownership of property in that, but rather communal living and communal ownership of all things. And this was purport, uh, put forth as an idea to ultimately bring equality and fairness and, and in, uh, in an ultimate sense, a society that left no one behind and uh, uh, created a situation in which uh, everybody would be equal. There'd be no cliques, if you will. Uh, there'd be no uh, upper and lower classes. And, and instead, what you'd have is a society based on altruism that would, uh, that would bring people to want to uh, to work, to provide for the common good, to, um, you know, to sacrifice any real, uh, so much of the personal things that we take for uh, granted as being part of our goals in life and setting those things aside for the greater good. And there is, um, there is something about that that does resonate. There is something about that that does seem like a, a beautiful idea. I mean, after all, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to have a world where there are no starving children and, and these kinds of things? And so there's a part of that that uh, is more than just tugging at heartstrings. There's an actual, um, uh, there's a longing for a world that is like that in many respects. Well, there are groups around the world today. There's movements, uh, maybe is a better way to put it, movements around the world to create a world like that. Um, there is, uh, and of course, if you follow these things, some of these things will be very familiar to you, but uh, you may have heard of things like Agenda 2030, a set of principles and dimensions, as they would call it, um, um, that, that they're hoping to accomplish by the year 2030 that will move us uh, in sort of a quantum leap forward in that direction. Uh, things that, uh, well, let me pull it up real quick. Um, some basic... Um, uh, the dimensions they call for are uh, a, a new approach to people, prosperity, planet, partnership, and peace, um, uh, where the goal is to leave no one behind, uh, total, uh, uh, something that is universally embraced by all nations as we contribute toward a world that not only can deal with crises and pandemics and things like this, but ultimately creates, uh, again, something that Marx would have called a utopian society. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, whether it's, uh, agenda 2030 or, uh, one of the big terms now, one of the big movements now is the, uh, this idea of the, uh, the great reset where, uh, we reform the entire economy of the world with a focus on, uh, uh, dealing with climate change and, and so many of these other things that something like agenda 2030, uh, speaks of. Um, and so when we think about these things, um, uh, and how they come about and the push to uh, bring them about, which, as I mentioned, is, is not only global in intent, but is actually being embraced by a great number of countries. There are movements within over 170 countries that are seeking to bring this about. Um, and of course, if, if you know, I'm, I'm, my intention is not to kind of go down the, the potential conspiracy route necessarily, but of course, if you've heard of things like Event 201, where there are um, uh, there was a planned uh, sort of a scenario played out of what would happen if a pandemic struck a coronavirus 
uh, was, you know, uh, came out upon the world and how would we deal with that kind of a thing? And that exercise was, that scenario was uh, kind of sketched out in 2019. Well, in 2020, of course, we're well aware that a coronavirus did in fact come out. Uh, and it's it's radically affected our world global economies. It's it's created a, uh, a a panic as well as a pandemic around the world, and so many have seen uh, in that. And it could very well be. I'm not disputing that it it wasn't maybe used in that way, but it uh, it's it's been viewed by many as sort of the cata the the catalyst for bringing about these kinds of. Um, you know, to energize these kinds of movements to really push hard to bring about a global utopian kind of a society uh, built around these principles of climate change and, and uh, dealing with climate change and, and, and bringing together the world in a kind of unity uh, that has never really been accomplished on a global scale before. And, you know, when we talk about these things, um, you know, and we see them sort of for what they're being put forth as, you know, the question has to come up. Well, what's so bad about creating global unity? What is so bad about uh, trying to create a world where there's no hunger and there's no poverty? What's wrong with creating a world where there's no starving children and all that? And I think that creates a bit of a false dichotomy for the Christian because if we come out against those ideas, come against some of these movements, it's as though we're coming out against the idea of caring for people and trying to solve poverty in that. When of course, that's obviously couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, entire missionary movements have incorporated in their seeking to share the gospel, um, you know, missionary work, including building hospitals and feeding the poor and doing things like this. It's always been part of the DNA of the church to be involved in these things. But these movements that are being pushed by some, you know, these are not small things. People like Prince Charles are, are spearheading it. Um, again, over 170 countries have some form of, of this movement uh, active, uh, trying to bring about this change. And so, uh, you know, when we hear about these things and we, you know, if we go on places like the World Economic Forum website or the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation site, or if we do a simple Google search on things like Agenda 2030 or the Great Reset or any of these kinds of things, um, where we can find very easily information on all these ideas and we begin to learn about them, you know, we might be kind of scratching our heads a little bit and saying, are we, should we really have an issue with these things? I mean, aren't these good goals to shoot for? Isn't it, wouldn't it be great if there was sort of an equality and an equity that was global where people could, you know, feel like they're not being left behind in that? <clears throat> now, again, those things in principle are good things. Sure. I mean, there's, you know, we think about the kingdom of God, which Jesus told us to pray for. Um, you know, let your king. Matter of fact, turn to Matthew chapter six. Um, hopefully, you've got your Bible handy. You know that when we get together, we typically turn to passages in Scripture and and consider them. And so, I thought I would actually kind of build around a passage that I've been kind of fixated on over the last little while here, and it's uh, it's here in Matthew chapter six, verses nine and ten. In chapter se- uh, in chapter six, verse seven, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says to them, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he goes on, and we'll see in a moment that he'll go on and explain a few things in particular that they should include as they seek out the father. Um, But he starts by talking about how there is a kind of prayer 
and a kind of spirituality that roots itself in the idea of repetition and flowery language and these kinds of things as a means to sort of entreat God to respond. And Jesus, interestingly, says, don't pray that way. That's not really prayer, the way the Father is inviting us to engage with him. Instead, he begins to uh, talk about addressing God as though he were a father and you were his like little child. And the word, our father, you know the passage, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That idea of her father is one of tenderness and endearment. It's, it's, a, it's a tender kind of a name that a child would call his daddy. It's, it's a very, very soft kind of uh, invitation to uh, a very personal approach to God. In other words, if I can be kind of simplistic about it, Jesus is saying it's not about trying to create some sort of formulaic, rote religious approach to God that he'll just respond to if you say the right words or the right amount of times you say these words, but rather he says to engage God like a child with their father. In other words, a real, genuine, personal relationship. Well, that kind of religion is a very different thing from the sort of pseudo-spirituality that not only exists in the world today, but will even be part of the world that ultimately uh, uh, is, is being headed up by a particular leader down the road that we've talked about many times in the podcast previously, the Antichrist and the false prophet and the false kind of spirituality that they propagate. Um, Jesus is calling us to come close to the Father and to make the requests uh, that he begins to describe. Notice the first one in verse 9. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Again, Daddy, let your name be great. Let your name be known. Let it be magnified. Let it be seen as holy and, and lofty and such. And then he says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come here to earth just like it operates in heaven. Let your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done perfectly. And as a result, heaven is perfect. There is no sickness. There is no disease. Nobody's left behind. Nobody's marginalized. Nobody's seen as lower class and therefore uh, oppressed by somebody higher. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's glorious in so many ways. And when we pray that prayer, we're asking God to bring that kingdom here. Now, if he brings that kingdom here, it's going to replace all of the others, the imperfect, imperfect, fallen, misdirected, misguided, even oppressive kinds of kingdoms that might exist today, and replace them with this perfect kingdom that comes from God, where everything is right and just and beautiful and perfect. As a matter of fact, when it comes, when the millennial kingdom comes to earth, uh, there won't be, uh, sin won't be tolerated in that time. You know, we, we often uh, hear people ask the question when they look at the world around and how much evil goes on, he's, and people will therefore kind of naturally ask, well, if God is so good, why does he allow these things to continue? Well, in that day, he won't. Okay, in that day, when somebody tries to abuse somebody, Jesus will deal with it immediately. When there's inequity, he'll bring equality. Where there is uh, hatred, He'll deal with that to make sure it doesn't find expression in the hurting of other people. It'll be a perfect example of what his kingdom looks like here on earth. His kingdom 
will have come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it will be a beautiful, glorious thing where the wrongs are eliminated. They're not going on anymore because it's perfect. Well, that's a very different thing than what we're talking about when we consider the approaches by the world today to bring about that kind of a world in their own efforts. And here's the thing. Here's why why I have an issue with it and why I think we should have an issue with it is because for those in the world who are trying to bring about a utopian society, which again, on the one part, our hearts kind of resonate with. We want to see abuses done away with. We want to see uh, people being treated with love and kindness and fairness and that. There's things about that 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 resonate. But again, here's the thing. The movers and shakers, those who are, are moving the machines of change to go in that direction, are doing this apart from their creator. We're trying to bring the world together without the one who made us being part of it. As a matter of fact, not sort of as an afterthought, but pushing him out entirely. Uh, it's an attempt to create a world that is everything that God is planning to do, but without him. Now, this is nothing new. We can go all the way back in scripture. Um, there, is, uh, there is a time in the book of Genesis very, very early on in man's history, where uh, where the people gather together and they decide they want to build a tower that reaches to heaven. And we think of a tower, don't think of like a thin little tube like the, tower, the Leaning Tower of Pisa or something like that, but they're building what uh, is traditionally known as a ziggurat, the idea of a, a mound, a hill that is being has this broad base but is being built up higher and higher and higher. And the intent is that they want to be able to reach up into the heavens and even to the gods, as it were. And God is displeased with this. He recognizes the evil intention of their hearts. And his response to this is to separate them and divide them as people groups and even in languages. And so the people are divided during this time. Um, And so, but the reason I bring that up is because it has kind of always been man's desire to sort of not just bring the world together for a purpose, but to ultimately bring the world together for a purpose that ultimately is an affront to our creator. And that's what's at the heart of this whole movement or these movements that ultimately are trying to bring about this utopian society, this world where everything is, uh, is, is, suppo- is supposed to be equal and fair for everybody and, and leaves no one behind. Well, the scriptures paint a very clear picture of where that's headed and where that will ultimately lead to. And it doesn't lead to a utopian society where everybody's equal. It actually leads to a society that has been conditioned to ultimately stand united together against our creator, against God, against the Lord. Now we see this in Revelation chapter um, uh, in chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, where uh, Jesus is actually returning And the Antichrist, this leader that the whole world will gather around, um, and they all join together to try and stop him. They all join together to try and stop Jesus. We see what I think is also the same thing being described in Psalm 2, where it talks about the nations are raging against the Lord and against his anointed. And God's response 
makes perfect sense. He he chuckles at this. He laughs at this. Like, what? What are you talking about? What are you doing? Are you kidding me? And think of the absurdity of such a thing, of the God of creation, the God who spoke the universe into existence and everybody on this planet, everybody who's ever lived being made by him and those who are alive at that time trying to fight against him. When you read the book of Revelation and God is bringing judgment upon the earth in chapters 6 through 19, um, when he brings judgment down, rather than people recognizing the error of their ways and trying to get right, so many are cursing him in the midst of that. This is the heart of man in action, and this is the direction that mankind goes. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, you know, in Genesis, it speaks about the intent of their hearts being only evil continually. Uh, in, in, uh, in the book of Judges, we see the cycle, even among God's people, of them ultimately just always seeming to go back to doing what's right in their own eyes. This is the nature of man. We're sinful, we're rebellious, and left to ourselves, this is where we ultimately will head. And so when we see these movements, we talk and we see these ideas to bring about this utopian society, while on the one hand, some of the desired goals do seem like good things, we have to understand that the motivation behind them is not being inspired by God, but it's ultimately being led by the enemy, the one who hates God and has been misleading mankind from the beginning to ultimately stand against God. To try and build a utopian society around man's ideas is a very different thing than when Jesus says, to teach, encourages us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. These are not the same thing. These are not the same end, desired, uh, end, end desires and goals. What they are instead are two diametrically ends that seem similar at one point, but are really not at all. And so when we read about these things in the news, when we hear the, the World Economic Forum putting out um, new information about how we're moving the world toward unity and we're going to solve problems together and, and all these ideas, you know, on the one hand, yeah, we want to we want to see a peaceful world, but to have that world and to try and achieve a peace in a utopia without the Prince of Peace is just not something that's ever going to happen. It can't because it's not within us to ultimately bring it about. Interestingly, the problem with Marxism, among its many problems, the, the primary obstacle to Marxism ever working is human nature. We're not inherently altruistic as a as a as a people to ultimately do that, to, to, to fulfill those necessary uh, ambitions and, and altruistic uh, activities to bring about that world. It's just not our nature to do it. And to pretend otherwise is to reject God's own assessment of us. But if we embrace the assessment that he's made of us, well, now we're actually in a far better place than we've ever been. Because when we see ourselves for what we are, and when you and I see ourselves for who we are, we're in a place to receive the good news that there is a, there is, there is a way that we can be changed completely, where we can be radically transformed from the kind of people that we are to the kind of people that he intended us to be. He can give us a new nature with which we can stand against temptation and ultimately sin. He gives us the capacity to lean on him and to know him and to walk with him in such a way where we leave behind those things that are abhorrent to him. And frankly, if we really saw them for what they were, they'd be abhorrent to us. Uh, pride, lust, arrogance, selfishness, 
uh, wrong ambitions and such, all these different things that, that flow so naturally from our hearts. He helps us to walk away from those kinds of things and instead to become the kind of person he created us to be, someone who is very much like Jesus, loving, kind, generous, somebody who will one day experience the kind of society, the kind of relationships, the kind of environment, the kind of world that God had intended. When his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, then things will be perfect. And that is the thing that Christians should pray for, should long for from the depths of our souls. When we see the world around us, it should cause us to want heaven so much more. When we see the inequities and unfairness and and horrible treatment of people against one another, it should cause us to crave so desperately for his will to be done and his kingdom to come here on earth that the radical transformation that will happen would happen soon. And to simply buy into what ultimately is at best a counterfeit version of that is to sell short that which ultimately God is going to bring to pass and to tie our cart to the wrong horse. Don't make that mistake. Don't give in to that. Don't cease to pray that God's kingdom would come because we're trying so hard to make a kingdom of our own. No, it's never going to happen. As a matter of fact, once again, as the world gets closer and closer unified until they finally come about as unified as they're ever going to get under this leader, the Antichrist, the net result of that, the end result of that unity is not happiness and joy. It's rebellion in its ultimate expression as the world that at that time under the Antichrist seeks to take on the Lord himself. Absurd as it sounds, that is where mankind is headed. The scriptures have told us this. He's told us in advance this is coming throughout the Old and New Testaments. We see this day coming. We shouldn't doubt it. We shouldn't wonder if it's going to happen. We should only anticipate that it's going to happen and look forward to when it happens. And in the time between now and then, to stay faithful to that which God has said and not to just give in to the other plan for utopia that man is coming up with. At the end of the day, let that prayer just resonate in our own hearts. Your kingdom come. Oh, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you for the hope that you've given us, that when we see the world around us, we know it's only for a time, but the day is coming when your son will come. He'll establish his kingdom, just as he said, just as you foretold throughout the scriptures, the day is coming. We pray it soon. Even as John prayed at the very end of the book of Revelation, yes, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that we would consider the world around us and recognize that when the world is crying out utopia and let's join together and let's let's be in unity together, help us not to fall prey to believing that that's going to result in something good. We're not getting better and better every day. We're not becoming more and more pure and righteous in our own efforts. Rather, we're just coming together in unity, but in defiance against you. And that's a terrible place to be. 
So, Father, help us to seek your kingdom, to look forward to its coming with great anticipation. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We pray for those on the outside who have succumbed to these ideas. Father, the enemy is so deceptive, just bringing about this idea that so many good things are going to come by this. But, Father, help us not to to be duped. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. We can't wait to see you. Come, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name that we ask it. Amen. Hey, again, as always, if you have comments, you have thoughts, uh, you want to share, you can feel free to go ahead and comment on our YouTube channel. You can also uh, email me from our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can go on my own website, parsonspad.com, and you can email, you can watch the videos there, you can comment as well. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you to go ahead and consider the things we're talking about. Uh, I'll include the scriptures and links to the websites we've talked about, some of the movements we've discussed here, so that you can look these things up yourself and see them. Um, I don't even know that the intentions of the people behind them are necessarily sinister. I think they might really think what they're doing is a great uh, boon for all of, all of mankind. Uh, but the problem is that they don't really stop to think about what God himself has said. And so in doing so, they err in going that direction. Uh, It'll be fruitless ultimately. And so um, I just pray that you would consider these things and just dive into that which God has said in great anticipation of his establishing his kingdom here on earth, even as it is in heaven. So until next time, God bless you, and uh, and, uh, we'll catch up with you next time.